Hi and welcome to the Big Footy Port Adelaide podcast, a weekly show dedicated to talking all things Port Adelaide. I'm Enviable Tradition. This week I'm joined by Macca19. G'day buddy. How's things mate? Good to have you back. Yeah, good to be back, mate. Good to be back in the seat again. And uh, and we've got a special guest on today. He, you all know him. He's been the moderator of the Port Adelaide Big Footy Board for the last six years, and it's Ford Fairlane. Welcome, mate. Yo, snapperheads. And that is the last <laughs> Ford Fairlane impersonation I'm going to attempt tonight. <laughs> I knew there was a, at least one popular request for it. Oh, so. Honestly, I was just talking to Macca before we came on here, and my parents had a Ford Fairlane when I was a little kid, and it was the worst <laughs> car I've ever experienced in my life. And every time I see your name, it just reminds me of it. So <laughs> just thought I'd let you know. I'm awesome sorry. Stuff. We'll put in some for therapy for you. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Ford, you know we like to start this show by uh, letting people introduce themselves a little bit and tell us about their history with Port Adelaide. And we'd love to know about yours, mate. How did you become to be a fan? of this great club this this is a difficult question to answer it's been a, a family mystery i think since or along the lines of the, the bermuda triangle or the marie celeste i think um, i'm i'm a first generation australian my parents were european immigrants to australia my dad barracked for north adelaide because he lived in the area when when he settled here and i for some reason became a port supporter he he blamed his brother, who also came out, who was a, a red-hot port supporter. He would go to Smith's of Port Adelaide to buy his cars, and and he was really dedicated to port. But I don't know whether that was, was his doing. I like to think that I was just born to barrack for port. I think there's a port gene out there in the world. That's, I know Russell Ebert Hamble likes to talk about all the port supporters that have spread out from Adelaide around the world, and he likens it to the Pittsburgh Steelers and the and the, uh, their fans leaving the, the Steel City and going out all out over America, and I think Port supporters are the same, and there's a gene out there. Um, otherwise, I suspect it might have had something to do with school friends, and I, I lived in Murray Bridge as a, as a young fella, and I think they were two teams you supported in Murray Bridge, and it was either Sturt or Port, and I fell in with the Port crowd. And I think you just brought up on the, the traditions and the history of the club. I mean, back then... TV, you know, I think we had one channel and we didn't get replays and our knowledge of football was confined to what you read in the paper and, and watching the scores at the bottom of the Saturday afternoon movie. And um, But you'd always hear about the legend of Foss Williams and and the tradition of Port Adelaide that you they never gave up and, and I know that's what Ken Hinckley's certainly preaching at the moment and that it was just this club that had this, this immense aura about it, and I think you, you just couldn't help but be drawn into it. And uh, certainly when we moved to the city and I started to get to be able to go to games and just became such a, a dedicated follower, and I certainly remember my dad saying to me on a number of occasions, you know, if only you worked as hard on your schoolwork as you did at knowing who all those Port Adelaide players are. So um, that's probably my story. Beautiful. So, so Murray Bridge has given us not only Chad Wingard, but also Ford Fairlane. And Apparently I guess, so. I guess we can leave it up to the listeners to decide which of those is the more significant <laughs> one. <laughs> but uh, obviously, look, it wasn't a great week for the club this week. You know, went down to Fremantle at Patterson Stadium by 74 points, which is a pretty big loss. Uh, and the Maggies went down to Sturt at Alberton, which always hurts, by seven points as well. So we might jump straight into our love-hate for the week. And, and Macca, you might like to start by telling us your love and your hate for the week, mate. 
Sure, my love is the prison bar Guernsey that we all uh, purchased yeah. um, earlier this year, and um, it arrived at my doorstep on Tuesday morning, and what a bloody great thing it is. Uh, it's got my name on it once on the front, once on the back. Uh, I certainly didn't pay for it twice, but uh, it's on there twice, so that's a good thing. Really? It's in a pretty good position. It wasn't hidden by a seam or half my name was cut off or anything, so so I love that. Um, my hate, um, I'm going to say the SANFL reserves issue once again. It's just gone on far too long now, and it's, it's just getting a bit ridiculous. I just want um, the SANFL to come up with a, a solution um, as quick as possible now so we can all move on. Yeah, and hopefully a fair solution that actually is uh, somewhat reasonable for the Port Adelaide Football Club would be nice, I guess, exactly. wouldn't it? Definitely, definitely. <laughs> yeah, certainly. All right, so Ford, let's have your love and hate for the week, mate. Uh, I think my, my love of the week is, I'm just going to say, the Port Adelaide Football Club in general. I think um, anyone who who's old enough, and I think that's why I'm on the podcast today, but if you think back about um, the end of Ghostbusters with Bill Murray just going, you know, I love this city, well, I love this football team and I think um, this football club and I think where they've come from last year on a, I would say on a similar trajectory to Melbourne at some at some stage and some you know really brutal comments written about the club and its relevance and what it stood for and I think with the arrival of Keith Thomas, David Kosh, the recruitment of Ken Hinckley, of Alan Richardson, of Baron Burgess, they've just turned this club around in, in such a short space of time. And while there are certainly comments about our draw and how we've gotten into the finals, I think you've got to look at it in the context of just how much we were struggling in the past couple of years to where we've come to now to actually make the finals is just an extraordinary achievement. And I know I've read some comments on the board about and people, people saying, well, I don't know, we really want to be there, we're going to get hammered because of the Fremantle result. And, and I'm thinking, guys, you know, it's a journey. You don't, you don't wake up one morning and you're a triple premiership winner. You know, those days are over. We've had to restart, rebuild. You look at Geelong in, over the past... 10 years and probably from 2002 to 2007 they sort of flitted in and out of the eight they they had one good finish in 2004 they dropped out of the eight a couple of years later and I think even in 2006 they they may have finished ninth and was certainly no sign of, of what was to come so I think as I said it's a journey and we're on that journey I think we're heading in the right direction I think it's just great and so what was your hate Ford? I think probably the lack of recognition for what we've achieved this year. I think the, the Fremantle results seem to be just another excuse for the media to, to put their well-practiced slippers into Port Adelaide and not really acknowledge what we've, what we've achieved. It's almost as if, well, you're in the finals, but you're just going to get smashed, so there's really no point you being there. And I find that pretty offensive, really. I think certainly you can... There are results. The Fremantle result was awful, and there are results you sometimes... was. Cornsy likes to say you just dismiss and you're right off, and I think that was one of those games, and I'm sure we'll talk about that later. But I think just to acknowledge the achievement, I think in one comment I remember reading from our friend Jesper was, oh, Port Adelaide made the finals because Essendon beat Carlton. No, Port Adelaide made the finals because they've won at least 12 games and have won two more games than the next team behind them. So I, I can't see how... We've fluked our way in, or we've had a lucky result. You know, we've we've worked hard, and as Kenny says, you get what you deserve, and we deserve to be in the finals. Yeah, we've won the games that we've needed to win, and we've beaten some bloody good teams this year, so we absolutely deserve to be there. 
Well, no questions that, asked. Absolutely, and, and I think the, everyone talks about North Melbourne, and, oh, if they were in the finals, that'd be a real threat, and I think it was Schultz and Fest pointed out, well, you know, they've lost to Gold Coast, they've lost to GWS, their supporters all pointed at us and laughed, oh, you're only in the finals because you beat those teams. Well, guys, you're not in them because you didn't. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, my love for the week was actually the uh, the lesson we got from the Frio team on the weekend. I thought, um, you know, the lesson they gave us in terms of the defensive side of the game um, and how to transition that defence into offence, because they did kick a pretty reasonable score against us on the weekend, obviously won by a pretty big margin, which was 74 points. And, you know, really at the end of the day, that is the Port Adelaide football we've been talking about. You know, those Port teams that we might talk about later when we talk about our best memories of the Port Footy Club at, at Amy State. Stadium. You know, those Port teams, the way they played was all based around defence and they defended well first, uh, but then they were able to turn that defence into a really attacking game plan as well and, and turn that defence into attack and, and score well and, and heavily against other teams too. And so I thought that that was actually good for our team on the weekend to come up against a team like that to see, you know, just what it takes and, and what where we can be if we keep working and, and that they may not be this year, they may be in future years, but... You know, I think it was a good uh, lesson for us heading into finals to say, hey, you know, sure, you've made the finals, but let's not get ahead of yourselves. There's there's a lot of work still to be done if you want to achieve anything. And if you want to, you know, have an impact on the finals this year, then there's a whole other level you guys need to step up, step up to in the next couple of weeks. So I actually thought that was a really good thing for our group to get that lesson at this stage of the season, but also at this stage of their development as well. And, and perhaps even, you know, heading into next year, they'll they'll remember that and think, Hey, you know, we need that's the level we need to get ourselves to. Um, my hate for this week was uh, was the advertiser once again, <laughs> just uh, you know, trying to divide the Port fans. Basically, it just annoys me the way they get in there and try and pit the Maggie's fans against the Power fans. And really, you know, at the end of the day, we are one club. Um, most of us want to be doing what is best for the club as a whole, um, whatever that may be. And, and we may have slightly different opinions on that, but you know, they the the, the Paper love to grab the fringe few and, you know, the vocal few um, who are, you know, antagonising against the opposite, you know, the opposite team within our one club um, and try and highlight those when in reality the majority are actually supportive of both teams. The majority are actually supportive of the one club concept. Uh, the majority are supportive of, you know, us being the absolute best Port Adelaide football club we can be um, in both the AFL and the SNFL, however that looks. Um, and and so I think just that divisiveness of the uh, the media I find frustrating. I, I also guess that it comes back to the the um, you know the Ken Hinckley line again of you get what you deserve, and I think you get what you deserve in terms of the media as well. You know, we all like to whinge and complain about the media that we get in this state, particularly in relation to the Port Footy Club. But you know, at the end of the day, when people buy tabloid trash that's not you know proper journalism, they like to sensationalise things. They like to pit people against each other and. You know, when that's what people buy, then that's what the media deliver. And uh, and unfortunately, that's what's happened in our state and, and to many degrees in our country is we've accepted some pretty ordinary media and decided that that's what we want to watch and listen to and read about. And so uh, and so that's what we're getting. And I find it pretty frustrating, particularly as it relates to the Port Adelaide Football Club in this state, at least anyway. So that's my little rant for my hate for the week. <laughs> <laughs> so I've had a nice little rant there. But we will move on to Macca's game review because it's probably more relevant to what we're talking about this week. And obviously Port played Fremantle on Saturday at Patterson Stadium and did lose by 74 points. So Macca, let's get in and review the game, mate.
Yeah, it wasn't a great one, that's for sure. Uh, we ended up losing 9 goals 8 to 21 goals 6. So I was actually thinking of replacing the Port Thing jingle with uh, the Many Hill music um, <laughs> to start this week, just because it was really pretty much that bad. Um, thankfully, it didn't really cost us due to Essen winning. Um, but it doesn't really excuse how we played. Um, I think Frio, and good on Frio. I mean, they're not Fail Mantle anymore. They're not Ruffle Mantle or Free Lol or or any of them. They've really come of age under Ross Lyon, and um, you know I think they're pretty well headed for success in the next couple of years. Um, and they really opened up some deficiencies in in how we like to play the game. Um, was really our inability to turn clearances um, and inside fifties into genuine uh, sort of forward. Um, Attempts, really. Um, it was a real lack of sort of ball school going forward. I mean, we turned the ball over quite a lot. Um, the one thing that I really noticed was we, we just didn't really have any forward targets inside the forward 50 to kick to. Um, no. Especially with the long kicks. I mean, you could see us sort of thinking what we were going to do, and then we'd, we'd boot it in long, and then it just always seemed to be to outnumbered contests. You know, we, we seemed to lack, you know, one, two or three more targets um, than Frio had. And then going back the other way, um, I'm not sure where our loose men were um, in defence, but they certainly weren't defending, um, that's for sure. Um, our structures, I think, structurally, that's probably the worst game we've played this year. Um, I mean, Freo were a lot more efficient, um, and they really sort of um, took us to task and, and, and made the most of, of their forward entries. And, and if you look at some stats, um, they had... Uh, they only had three more inside 50s, um, and they lost the clearances quite heavily. But, I mean, they, they had about 16 or 17 more scoring shots, and they won by such a long margin in the end. Um, you really wonder where it broke down for us, really. Yeah, I think it was... Frio... Sorry. You go, mate. Okay. Um, I think Frio and, and E.T., you, you alluded to this earlier, were, were just fantastic. You know, I, I was really impressed by them. I know that they're a bit they're a bit like Sydney and they seem to get a lot of bad press um, for the style of football they play. But it really was tough, aggressive footy and real hunting packs kind of footy that we couldn't in the first half especially, we just couldn't do anything without being under pressure. And I mean there were times we would run the ball up to half forward and then we just stop. And I think that was symptomatic that we probably needed a, another big target up forward. It would be really great if Johnny Butcher was fit or if Jared Redden was playing, that we could have that, that one more target. Because I thought in the second half, we ran and we just kept going. And I think, I don't know what the discussion with Hinckley and Richardson was at quarter time. It, it looked a bit animated and that Kenny maybe wasn't happy with what was going on. And they may well have thrown the playbook out of the window in at half time that... You can't, you just can't afford against a side like Frio. And, and similarly, I've seen us play like this against Sydney to run a ball up to the 50 metre arc and then start chipping it around looking for a, an easy spot up because they just don't give it to you because it's just at you and at you and at you. And they were really, really efficient at that in the whole first half. They've got quite a bit of pace in that side. They're, they're a very big, strong bodied side. I think I posted on the boards um, last week that they were. They Ross Lyon probably has only a plan A, but it's a bloody good plan A, and <laughs> it's very hard to to get over the top of them. I, I don't know how they do applying that sort of pressure for four quarters. It's it's quite interesting to think about. They're again up against another top four side like a Geelong or Hawthorne, and they're in touch at half time, and they've thrown everything at them. Whether they can keep doing it for the whole four quarters um, against us, we we just yet again crumbled against them in a half of football or against a Ross Lyon coach team. And I think every year 
for the last four or five years, we've had a game where we've had between one and three goals at half time against Frio. But I think in the second half, maybe they probably did relax a bit. But I think we just played, as Ken likes to say, brave for football. We really brought the ball through and just kept going. We, we stopped holding the play up 80 metres out from goal and just put them under some pressure. And I think, as, as you mentioned, Macca, they evened up quite a bit on the inside 50s. And I think that was because we just kept pumping it in there. And as Dwayne Russell likes to call it, at least create the chaos ball and put them under some pressure. And had we done that in the first half, maybe we would have been closer at halftime. I don't know. It, it may just be that the pressure would still have got to us. Yeah, I think, I think maybe I went in with um, different expectations. I was really thinking it was going to end up being a bit of a underground bare-knuckle fist fight, you know, sort of six goals to five or something like that, but... It was miles off from that. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think what it takes to beat a side with th- with that you know so called Ross line game plan is is really firstly confidence. Like you've got to take the game on and you've got to be brave. Um, so yep. you know you can't you can't just sit back and chip it round and hope to sort of you know it's going to open up and work. It's what you work your way through because it just doesn't happen. And then obviously the skill to execute under that pressure because you know the pressure they brought was immense. They they really had us under the pump. Uh, and obviously on the day, we just weren't able to, A, exhibit the confidence, uh, but but probably more so show the skill to be able to work our way through it. And I think because our skills were so poor early on, then we also did lose the confidence for a large part of the game to take the game on. Um, and I think that's why the, the better teams do do better against that, that sort of game plan where, you know, they do have that confidence, they do have that skill to, to get over the back. Um, and so they're able to um, they're able to get through that defence, you know, move it quickly. Um, and so you know, I, I still think perhaps that's that Frio don't have the complete game plan, but it takes a very very good team to get around it and to get past it. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think sometimes you've got to play finals type football in the mind around. And I think the finals type football is you just go at it, you take it on, and you just try and create things. I think playing fancy possession football, trying to play low-risk football just doesn't work in finals. And something it doesn't work against a side like Frio that plays finals-type football in the minor round. So I think it's, it's a good learning experience, as I'm sure Craigie would say. But I think, <laughs> um, I think E.T., you, you, you did make the point before that if we learn something from this, it's a really great game for us. And I think Ken yeah. certainly, in the press conference I saw, said that he put it to the players, look, this is, this is what we want to be, this is how good we want to be, this is what we want to bring every week for our supporters from this club, is that sort of intensity and that type of football. And I think if they can learn from that and do that, then that is a great experience for us. In, in the end, as you, as you said, Macker, it, it didn't really hurt us because Essendon beat Carlton. And in terms of where we're at, I think we all acknowledge that Fremantle are a top four side and we're borderline top eight side. I think um, we've certainly come a long way. I think there's probably a group of group of teams between, you know, six and 12 that have probably got some pretty equal claims. But we we can certainly pick up from that. And if we can keep going on the trajectory we're going, do some good recruiting, some trading and drafting, there's no doubt we can really start to knock on the door. Yep. And so moving on from there, Ford, who do you have as your best players, mate? Whew. <laughs> it was a... Yeah, that's a a tough call. <laughs> do you want to just leave um, yours blank for this one? I week, might. <laughs> um, yeah, I, 
I can't. I can't think of anyone that really had a, a four-quarter impact. But funnily enough, I thought, you know, Chad Wingard did a bit for the time he was on. I thought, you know, Ollie Wines was was pretty brave. Um, certainly, in terms of stats, no one really racked up. I mean, Kane was was thereabouts again. Robbie Gray was very good um, for the for the time he was he was able to get into the contests. Um, other than that. I, I probably wouldn't be handing out too many uh, bouquets this week. <laughs> All right, we might move on to you, Macca. Who do you have in the best plays? And actually, your best young player as well while we're at it, Macca. Sure. Uh, Robbie Gray, I thought, was probably our best player. Um, I thought he played quite well, did quite a lot of good work in the middle, um, also kicked a goal. Um, Matty Loby just continues to impress. I mean, 43 hitouts is massive, and 15 tackles is ridiculous for a ruckman. I mean, that's... I think that's only about three or four off the, the AFL all-time high. So he, he's getting right up there. It's not the first time he's had a big game in terms of tackles as well. Um, yeah, outside of that, he's sort of struggling a bit. Wingard did well when he was on the ground. I thought Andrew Moore played quite well. Um, I mean, Bokey was down. Broadbent was down. Ebert mm. was down. Um, best young player? Um Probably Aaron Young or Sam Colquhoun. I'm going to go with Colquhoun just because I think that in another pressure game, he really stood up and, and didn't really waste the ball too much. I think there was one error, but apart from that, you know, he, he shows quite a good, cool head um, and uses the ball quite well. Yeah, oh, just absolutely. To, just to jump I, in for a moment, I just thought, yeah, yeah. Aaron Young, I, I did quite like his game. That Coming on as a sub, he picked up, I think, 10 touches, was it? And yep. just showed a real ability to stand up in tackles, to, to get his arms free and and dish the ball off against probably one of the best tackling teams in the competition. And as you mentioned, of course, Lobie, he did slip my mind, although one mark for a 200-centimetre big man isn't enough. But, no, I mean, everything else he did was terrific. Yeah, yeah and, and I thought the same. I thought Gray and Lobby were probably our two best. I thought, you know, it was one of those days where you could probably just about put the flag up and go, we'll all play poorly because, you know, when you go down by 74 points, I don't necessarily think anyone in the team deserves a whole lot of kudos. But but if you pick the best, you'd say Gray and Lobby were probably the two best there. And and if you're looking at the young guys, I think definitely Colquhoun, you know, just really continues to impress me. For such a young guy, for such a slight guy, uh, the composure he's shown, the skill he's shown, the ability to, to get his hands on the ball is shown I think he's just been exceptional he's he's going to be a really excited exciting talent for the future if he keeps up that trajectory and uh, and good to see Youngie back uh you know it's been a while and you know to be honest I'd sort of lost a bit of confidence in him I'd looked at some of the games he'd played and thought well he's not doing much in the SANFL he just mm. you know just didn't seem to be going anywhere to be honest but he seems to have come back into the AFL team you know as sometimes happens with these players and be you know playing better almost in the AFL than he was in the SANFL and uh, so it's good to see, and he's, he's looking like he belongs again at the moment. So um, I thought those two were probably the two best out of the young guys. Um, Maka, we might move on and have a quick review of uh, Port going down to Sturt at Albert, and I'm sure there's not too much that needs to be said about that. But uh, why don't you give us a bit of a rundown, mate? They lost 11 goals 13 to 12 goals 14, so they lost by 7 points. Um, the problem with the Magpies over the last 7 or 8 weeks is just slow starts. I mean, we just seem to be behind the 8 ball from the beginning um, every single week, and you just can't afford to do that every single week. Um, we were 4 goals down again at quarter time. We did well to catch up, but you know, against the Sturt side, which hasn't won a lot of games in the last couple of years, I, I really did expect more. 
and we ended up going down by seven points. And we really should have come home a little bit stronger in the last quarter, but we didn't. Um, in terms of best players, you're looking at Sam Gray again. He's, he's probably a bit of a smoky for the McGarry. He had 29 touches and 11 marks and a goal. Um, Corey Beard played against um, played at centre-half forward. He had 24 touches and 10 marks. Um, and then you're looking at probably Ben Newton, who had another very, very strong game with two goals, 21 touches and eight marks. And I think uh, the highest inside 50s on the ground with seven. Yeah, he was he was very good going by the stats, and he must be really knocking on the door. I guess in terms of the Magpies, you'd, you'd ask the question of all of this talk about the reserves team, whether it's starting to, to get to them as well. I mean, there's articles in the paper today about the, the team pretty much expecting to be out of existence even by next year now, and whether that's taken the wind out of their sails. There's certainly a bit of talk from Mickle John that, that it's had an impact, and it must be pretty tough to, to carry. I mean, you, you see with the Essendon uh, drug saga that's gone on and on, that certainly over the last month until their, their win against Carlton, that they just seem to be slowly deflating. I, I don't know if that's just because they're full of puncture holes at the moment from Stephen Dank, but they, Port Adelaide just seem to be going the same way. Like, they, as you said, Macca, they just can't get a good start and they'll get back into a game and then they'll just drop off again. And... There seems to be something just not quite right at the moment. Yeah, I, I think it is just a great example of how off-field instability can lead to on-field poor performance. And we've certainly seen that with the, the power side over the last few years as well. Um, and there's no doubt that it does happen, that, that you know when you haven't got the off-field stuff right, and, it, and it's not necessarily for Port, obviously, they haven't got it right, but there's just a whole lot of instability going on there and a lot of uncertainty going on there. Um, that it can really affect the on-field performance and I think be pretty draining on-field as well. Absolutely. And one thing I want to say is, is uh, to the listeners out there is try and get to Albert and Oval this week just because we're playing Westies um, and who knows what's going to happen in the off-season. It could very well be the last game at Albert and Oval. Could be. And um, I guess too, just in, in other sandful news of any interest uh, when with Ronnie Fuller being sacked at South and talk of Andrew Collins possibly replacing him down there. I mean, there certainly changes could be afoot at West Adelaide as well and maybe they'll be a little bit vulnerable too, which would be good for Port. Yeah, so did you guys have a chance to have a look at some of the uh, SNFL play- uh, Sorry, the power plays in the SNFL? Yeah, I certainly did. Um, Louis Stevenson, he's... Bit of, bit of a forgotten man ever since he got dropped mm. um, earlier in the year. So you sort of forget that he's on the list. Um, but he's had a really good last month or, or six weeks at SNFL level and he was best on ground for Nord on the weekend. Um, I've already mentioned Benny Newton. He had 21 touches and was second best for Port Adelaide. Um, good to see Tommy Cleary um, getting in the best players as well for Glenelg. Yep. Um, I was a bit disappointed in um, Daniel Stewart's game. I was really hoping he'd have a big one because I think that Frio game, one of the things that showed up was we, we really needed another tall marking target. And if Butch isn't fit, I, I know most most of our board posters have probably written Daniel Stewart off, but I think just in terms of a target, just tell him to get up there and you know he's really athletic and he can run and he's got a decent engine and just tell him to get to contests and cause spillages and, and let the crummers, let the Mon- guys like Monfries and, and Jakey need get onto a a spillage at the the foot of the pack and unfortunately he had a pretty quiet game again and really didn't push his chances for selection all that well. Um, I don't know how Butch is going. I'm, 
I've been kind of keen on the idea of Cleary getting a run in the forward line for a while now. I think as a junior, he played forward and back. And while it sounds like, and I'm only going on the report on the Port website, that his stats probably got padded a bit by some keeping off football um, late in the game by Glenelg. I think he's a, he's a big, strong kid, really good motor, really can get to a contest, and maybe it's worth throwing him up forward. I, I think for this week's game against Carlton, I'd it probably wouldn't hurt to, to rest a few players and get a few experienced bodies in there like Cassisi if he's fit and even Tommy Logan and maybe a couple of young guys that would be just champing at the bit to have a crack at it like a Clory and a Newton. Mm. Yeah, well, I thought it was just great to see Stevenson playing well. I mean, you sort of keep saying this each week. There seems to be a different name popping up each week in the best players. And, and you know, in other years, it's almost seemed like that's happened because they've just been sort of pulling him out of the raffle and having to pick mm. someone. But this year, it seems like there's genuinely players in the SNFL putting in good performances and, and a, a broad depth of different players putting in good performances, which is just creating that pressure for selection that I think we haven't had for a number of years. Um, so it's really good to see these players who are on the fringe, stepping up, um, you know, realising that, you know, they, it's their job to actually keep playing good footy, to keep the pressure on the team, to keep the depth there, and that they need to keep doing that so that when the chance is there, that they can jump in. And uh, it's really good to see that depth that's developing at our club, and I think it's going to stand us in really good stead over the coming years, uh, where we're really able to clean out uh, some of the lower end of the list without, you know, having to hang on to a whole bunch of players who haven't perhaps been you know, showing that they can perform at SNFL and even at AFL level as well. Um, so it's really good to see that depth of uh, talent going right through our list, I reckon. I think that's that's right. And I think in the last couple of years, we've probably been excited if guys got 15 touches in a Sandville game and, and scraped in a seventh best. And now, you know, we're actually seeing guys getting best on and, and getting between the 25 and 30 touches and just really almost influencing games and certainly being a presence in games. And I think a lot of that's to do with with Burgess and getting them up to an AFL standard of fitness and probably um, to Kenny and, and Alan's coaching and, and the assistant coaches out there as well and the development coaches telling them what they need to do to be good AFL footballers. And, and they're just going out there and, and doing the, going through the process, if you like, and, and doing what they need to do to be a good footballer rather than whatever it was they were doing before. All right, so guys, let's move on and start our little chat about Footy Park now. I know we were, you know, in many ways, I think some of us might not be as sad as others to see the end of Footy Park and to move back into Adelaide Oval. Uh, but uh, but we have had some pretty darn good memories there as the Port Adelaide Football Club. Um, so uh, perhaps, Mackie, you'd like to go first as we talk about our top five memories of Footy Park. No worries. Um, I'll start with the fifth. Um, I came up with a short list of about 18 different memories. Um, had a lot of trouble um, whittling it down to five, but this is this is my number five, which is Russell Johnson's hit on Carl Galena in 1988. Um, it was... In my opinion, one of the very best SANFL games of all time, Port versus Sturt. It was the first league of a doubleheader that day. I think there was over 30,000 people there. Um, the bump happened right in front of me, um, to quote a very famous Crow supporter. Um, and, yeah, it was just an absolute ripper of a bump. Um, and Johnson wasn't even reported on the day. Um, 
it actually came down to Lee Wicker um, had him go up for trial by video uh, during the week um, mm. and suspended him for five games. Oh. And, of course, that meant that he, um, unless we lost the first final, um, we um, he was not going to play again that year. And he, he did end up missing the grand final and the premiership. Um, so you can thank Lee Wicker for that. You know, he's a bit like an STD. He's just the <laughs> gift that keeps on giving, just not a really good gift. That's right. <laughs> an Eddie Murphy line about, um, he's like luggage. You just can't get rid of that shit. Yeah. <laughs> so what was number two, Macca? Let's keep going through. All right. Number number four was uh, round 22, 2002 versus Brisbane. Um, whoever won, won the minor premiership. And, of course, that meant also winning the double home final chance as well due to the MCG rule. Um, in my opinion, that's probably the best game of AFL football played at Football Park. Um, Port kicked away with a, a ten, ten, million, uh, blah, 10 minute brilliant football um, in the third quarter. Um, and I think we kicked about four or five goals in about six or seven minutes and really put it to Brisbane. Um, Brisbane came back hard. Um, they hit the front with about three minutes left. Um, there was a couple of heroes in the last two minutes. Obviously, Roger James and his magical rove and snap uh, with about 90 seconds left um, to put us back in front. And Brent Guerra's massive tackle with around about 25 seconds left um, as Brisbane was streaming forward. And, of course, um, the, the siren went with the ball being driven deep into the Brisbane forward line and, and Hardwick somehow got a spoil in, in for a mark on Lepic and, and the siren went and everyone went absolutely nuts. It was great. Yeah, great game. Great game. Good memories. Mm. Mm. Number three, I'm going to go with uh, the 1994 SANFL Grand Final, but in particular, Scotty Hodges' last quarter. Um, you can't really beat that. Um, I mean, such such drama throughout that year. Uh, Woodville West Torrens had, had beaten us three times that year by, I think, an average of about 70 points. Uh, we beat them in the last round of the SANFL by 80 points at Albert and Oval. Um, I think the Eagles were the shortest-priced favourites in SANFL Grand Final history. Um, we were down by six goals at quarter time. Um, Hodges had four kicks and, and one goal to three-quarter time, and then he went, Absolutely bananas in the last quarter. Kicked five goals out of nine. Um, I think Port kicked about eight goals in 13 minutes to start the last quarter. Um, we took everyone by surprise, and it was all down to that man, Scotty Hodges. That was just an amazing game and an amazing quarter of football. And I remember there was a story going around after that that um, Jason Spear was going to be uh, drafted by an AFL club, and come the draft, his name never got called out. And he called up one of the clubs and said, what happened to me being drafted? And the response was, well, what happened to you in the last quarter of the grand final? <laughs> well, it is interesting that because, yeah, I mean, he had a really good couple of years for the Eagles and, and was probably the second best fullback in the state behind Roger Delaney. Um, and he was young enough to be drafted. I did hear that the Crows were interim, but, um, yeah, it just didn't happen to him. He was never the same after that. I think he, he pretty much retired a couple of years after. Yeah, he was, uh, I think, a policeman, as I recall, and I think maybe the work as well sort of ate into his time, but he, I don't think he ever recovered psychologically from what happened in that, that quarter of football. And I, I still remember that time when Scotty ran him down from behind. He was bounding out of defence, having a bounce, and bang, and suddenly he's got him this vice-like grip, has got the Guernsey, and he's dragged him down and converted the shot, and it was just amazing. Even David McKay, you know, who was a staunch West Torrens supporter and obviously one of their former players was he was just um, he was getting excited by Port's comeback and, and I remember it just being in the crowd and the hair standing up on the back of your neck. I watch that game now and you listen to the roar of the crowd now and you're still 
you know, it gives you goosebumps. Yeah, and that one was definitely in my top five as well. It was just such a magnificent game and, and made all the better for me by the fact that I had an Eagles supporting mate at the game who was just hanging shit on me for the entire <laughs> first three quarters, telling me how hopeless we were and how they were killing us and just absolutely getting into me. So I found that last quarter particularly enjoyable. But, you know, wasn't that one of the amazing, the beautiful things about Scott Hodges was just, you know, everyone remembers him for, I guess, his marking, his leading, his beautiful goal kicking. But, you know, he was lethal as well. You know, if you got in his way when he was on the lead he wasn't afraid to let you know that that wasn't the place to be oh, and uh, gosh, and you know yeah. if he had a chance to catch you defensively and and pile drive you into the ground he absolutely wouldn't hesitate <laughs> and uh, and so that's just one of the great things about Scotty is not only was he the the sort of you know glamour full forward for one of a better word although he never sort of came across as the, the glamour full forward but you know he was prepared to do the hard work as well and, and that was just one of the things that made Scotty so great I, I will I will mention though um, Et that uh, in 1990 he did win the footy budget Mr Footy Spunk competition. <laughs> I think it was the mullet. Well, and the mullets were big. Oh, that jeans. mullet, that mullet was fantastic. It yeah. was. I tried to grow a mullet like that, but my head just wouldn't curl at the end like his did. <laughs> very, very disappointing. So what was your next one, Maka? Uh, memory number two can't go past the 2004 prelim. Um, it was the <laughs> most brilliant final played at the ground, in my opinion. Just such an intense week. Um, that's, I think, uh, a couple of memories. I think I actually vomited uh, before we <laughs> left the ground or left to go to the ground just because I was <laughs> that nervous. I, I just could not handle the pressure and I wasn't even bloody playing. So that's that's how much um, it affected me in the stands. Um, the noise um, as the players, they, they showed a shot as St Kilda ran out onto the ground and Port were lining up in the rooms and Choco's there clapping them on and revving them up and they went down the tunnel and the noise when, I mean, they weren't even on the ground yet. That's the loudest noise I've ever heard at a football game, MCG included. Um, and just, of course, you know, Gav's goal and, and Wilbur's courageous marks and especially in hindsight, knowing that he had two dislocated shoulders to take yeah. those two brilliant marks in the last quarter. You'll never forget that. And obviously, Burgoyne's spoil as well and just just the raw emotion um, in the stands when the siren went. I mean, everyone was in tears. Everyone I looked at was bowling their eyes out you know we finally made it this was the big hurdle and we did it you know that that was what makes it so memorable for me yeah, that that was definitely on high up on my list as well. And you know, the irony of that game, you were talking about our memories of Footy Park, is I was actually living in Sydney at the time. I was a student. I think we'd just finished our exams. I'd actually left my exam celebrations to go sit in a pub by myself and watch that game. And so I literally sat in the Epping Hotel in Sydney in front of this massive flat screen TV completely by myself with no one else even interested in watching the game and screamed my head off at the TV. <laughs> And uh, but it was just one of the best games I've ever seen. It was just you know I didn't even need anyone else there to enjoy that one. It was it was an incredible game of football that just had absolutely everything, including of course the good guys winning at the end of the day. And uh, that that's one of my all time favourite games. That one. Yep. And my number one, um, I think we all know what's coming. Um, you can't overlook Scotty Hodges' goal in that <laughs> prelim in 1996. Just for those that weren't there or, or were too young to remember or, or didn't have a chance of going, the breeze, I mean, it wasn't even a breeze. It was a gale force wind going directly across the goal where he was kicking from. I mean, it was, he must have had a margin of error of about 15 centimetres to uh, to hit that goal and he hit it absolutely perfectly with 10 seconds left um and the thing we forget is that he had three shots on goal that quarter 
and missed them all. <laughs> um, and he had one kicking directly into the breeze from about 25 metres out and didn't even make the distance. So that's how strong that wind was. And he just hit it perfectly and you just knew it was going through as soon as he kicked it. And I mean, just to, to break Norwood's hearts like that, I mean, it was great. And Macca, you'd, you'd probably remember this with odd a couple of games might have blended together for me, but was was that the game where he he broke Anthony Harvey's uh, collarbone? Yeah, absolutely. That was probably the turning point in the game. I mean, Nord uh, dominated the first probably ten or eleven minutes of the last quarter, and Harvey was a a real big player in that. Yeah, um, he, he was dropping into the space in front of Scotty all the time, <laughs> and a yeah. rumor had it that Scotty said at one point, "You do it again." I'm going to Bang. clean you up. Well, as ET just said, you know, if you, if you drop yeah. in front of Scotty, he's going to yeah. hit you. He's he going to crunch you. He, he hit Harvey very hard and, and did his shoulder. We, we didn't see him again. And Nord went the same after that. I mean, they they shut up shop really early in that game. Um, I don't think they had an inside 50 in the last oh, 12 or 13 minutes of the game. So they, they really went defensive and it really cost them the match in the and, end. And there was sort of yeah. that memory I always have of that goal was the Nord guys jumping off the bench when the, the, the free kick was given. And <laughs> like they knew what was going to happen. They yeah. knew that the, the horror was unro- unravelling before them. Yeah. And, and he was going to kick this goal. And I'll, That's my number I'll, one port moment. I'll, I'll never forget that. I'll, I'll dream of that every night. Just about. <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll never, ever forget that moment. And you've yeah, only got that, one kid. Exactly. <laughs> and that was one of my all-time favourites as well. Like, uh, I've probably only sat in the members at Amy a handful of times, and for some reason that was the one day that I was sitting on the front row of the top tier in the members' stand at Amy Stadium, directly behind Scotty's kick. And as you said, Macker, I think looking at the replays of the kick doesn't do it justice because you don't realise just how much everyone had struggled to kick goals that day and how much the wind had been affecting everyone's kicks. And uh, and really, it was you know in the context of the day, it was just about an impossible kick. Um, and so, but, but you still, as as I stood there behind it, I still remember thinking to myself, Scotty will kick this because he was just that kind of guy. Like he was just the kind yeah. of guy who, when it had to be done, when it had to be yeah. won, you just thought, yeah, Scotty will do this. And yeah. uh, and the feeling when it went through was just unbelievable. Everyone just went bananas. And, uh, and it was just a great game. I loved that. That moment really summed up a lot about the Port Adelaide Football Club in that era and, and in all eras, really. Well, there was a bit of, a bit of a premonition from David Mackay on the, on the TV commentary um, when Scotty missed the first goal. He missed it from the same angle but only about 10 metres out. And he said, you don't have to worry about Scotty Hodges. He always kicks the important goal. And, and come <laughs> the end of the match, he did just that. Yeah, didn't he? All right, so Ford, we're going to move across to you for your top memories of footy part. Perhaps if you can just, you know, touch on without having to go into the ones of, uh, that Mac has mentioned that, that you had on your list too and then, and then share with us any extras that you had on top of those as well. Well, I've, I've picked some, some older games. Um, I think that's why you dragged me out of the nursing home. So I've, uh, I've delved back. First of all, I've got a, this is one for, for the listeners, is a question of what was Port Adelaide's first win at Football Park? Because interestingly enough, the, the Port website gives a game against South Adelaide on June 8, 1974. The Port won 2016 to 16-13. Now, according to uh, some old footy budgets I have, um, well, my, my partner actually has. She has quite an impressive collection of old footy budgets. Um, Norwood and Sturt were scheduled to play at Footy Park that day. And Port and South were supposed to play at Adelaide Oval. And Port Adelaide's first scheduled game at Football Park was on June 22, 1974 against Glenelg, 
which Port also won 1921 to 1618. So I'm not actually sure which is Port's first win at Football Park, whether the Port South game was, the scheduling was swapped around, or whether the Port website's got that wrong and it's the Port Glenelg game, or in fact there was a, uh, what they used to call, they had Football Park invitation games during the year where they, they took a game that was scheduled for one of the other ovals and put it there. And there was Port played Norwood one weekend of a, of one of these um, invitation games. And I'm not sure whether the Port Nord game got shifted, but Port also won that game. So at least one thing we're sure of, the first game Port Adelaide played at Football Park was a win. Of course. But anyway, so that's one for, for uh, our listeners to have a look into and maybe get back to us and let us know which is the, the right answer. Um, probably the, the games, I'm not going to do them in any particular order. I think um, for me... The, the 1977 Grand Final was just amazing. And I think when you talk about the 1977 Grand Final, you have to talk about it in context of the 1976 Grand Final. As horrible as it was, it, was, it probably lit the fuse on John Cale's coaching career. I think it made him a better coach. It made him, he made tougher decisions. And you could see throughout John Cale's career that what players did in minor round determined whether they would play in finals. I think... A few guys let him down in that 1976 grand final. We lost it by over 40 points, so clearly they did. Sturt were an interesting team in that in that context in that everything they said about Sturt then, too old, too slow, too many premierships, was what they were saying about Port through the 90s, in the, certainly the, the mid-90s when we just kept winning. Um, I was at both grand finals, 76 and 77. 76 was my first one, so it's a, certainly a memorable moment for me because there was... I mean, the, the official crowd figure was somewhere around 67,000. Um, I know Michelangelo Rucci has written since then that there was more like 80,000. They just stopped counting for rock health and safety reasons. And back then, you know, you, you didn't have covered concourses. And so people were just basically hanging off this this uncovered area at the top of the ground. You're sort of looking up there and thinking, what happens if they fall? I guess they go splat. And there's there's three to 5,000 people on the oval in a grand final. I mean, right up to the boundary line, sitting on the grass. They jammed so many people, and that's the sort of crowd a Port Sturt game drew. And certainly I remember from that game, Port kicking the first couple of goals, and it just all went pear-shaped from there. And I think we all know, you know, the Rick Davies story of that game and Chrissy Nat, who just basically froze up in the in the rooms before the game and... Um, guys like Bagshaw and Klomp and Bergen and Miles, you know, these, as I hate to say it, great Sturt names, just they all just turned it on that day. But I think Port learned some important lessons. I mean, we'd, we'd finished top that year by five points in percentage. Sturt had lost, I think, the qualifying final and had to win through the first semi final and the preliminary final to get to the grand final. I think everyone thought Port were just a shoe in. And we learned an important lesson. And we came back in 1977. We finished top by even more. We finished top by seven points by percentage. Um, Sturt, I think, finished ninth that year, had an ordinary run with injury and never got going. We played Glenelg in a grand final. And I remember before the game, in the, um, I reckon in the footy budget, we, we weren't even favoured among the, you know, the inverted commas, air quotation marks, experts 
to win the game. I think everyone would sort of think, well, there's a monkey on Port's back. I mean, we'd lost the 71 and 72 grand finals to North. We'd lost, I think, three grand finals to Sturt back in the 60s. And it had been the drought, as we call it, a 12-year drought. It was, like, unheard of for Port supporters. You know, it's, since Foss Williams mm-hmm. arrived in 1950, it was just a, a cavalcade of premierships. you kick a rock over at Alberton and out would pop a TSL trophy. And so the, the 77 grand final, it was just an extraordinary game because Glenelg jumped us early. They, we'd beaten them in the semi-final. We kicked... They kicked five goals to two. We kicked two late goals in the quarter, and I think everyone's heart stopped fluttering. But there was barely anything in it all day. Um, Port lost. I think Ivan Ekman got a massive corky, and um, Kimmy Kinnear copped a knee in the head and got knocked out, and Daryl Cale, I think, tore a hamstring and couldn't come back on. And in the end, Cale strapped up Ekman and shoved him in a forward pocket, and he was a back pocket back then. He kicked three goals too, sitting as basically an immobile forward pocket. And um, I still remember the story where he missed a, a set shot for goal in the third quarter and Kale ran a message out and they asked him on the footy show after, Jack, you know, what message did you run out to Ivan? He said, I told him that if I had anyone fit left on the bench, I'd have dragged him for missing that shot. <laughs> but the guy could barely walk. And it was like Tim Evans had six goals to half time and, and then got king hit and had concussion, played the second half out. And it was just an extraordinary game. Russell Ebert had a reputation that he he didn't perform in finals and he was probably second best player. And I think Bucky was best on ground. And just that, there was just that point in the last quarter where we got about 26 points up and we were heading into time, just hitting time on. He thought, we've got it. We're actually, we've got it, you know, and then, the base kick, I think, three goals in the last few minutes. And so you you had your heart in your mouth and and they were really running hard at us and the siren went and we won and it was just incredible. People poured onto the oval and I think on the Port website you can see the pictures of just everyone on the oval and Russell holding the trophy up. And extraordinary game. Um, 1982 preliminary final. I've written about it on the board and, and Memories of Football Park and I just have to say again that everything you've heard about that game, believe it. I was at that game. Um, we were playing Glenelg. We were getting hammered. We were probably about six goals down late in the second quarter. Dave Granger was on the bench. He was brought on, thrown into the game and just chaos ensued. I mean, everyone's seen the footage of him running on. Cornsy sort of whacked the arm up and and caught him high and then Dave's just gone bang, you know, and, and Cornsy's <laughs> gone down and and the and the game it just it it was almost gothic in in its presentation. It was a the dark and stormy skies and and everyone that was there will say that as Dave was running along the boundary line warming up there was just this sense of foreboding. It was like a Stephen King novel that something was going to happen and and what happened was just amazing. And we lost the game in the end by a point. And it, it was an extraordinary experience of a football match. Um, you hated losing. I think Nord went on and won the flag. Rumour had it as well that they toasted Dave at their um, premiership celebrations because Glenelg went into that grand final a shell of a team. They'd... That had guys hit, knocked out. Steve Barrett had unfortunately broken his leg. Um, it was it was just 
just amazing. An amazing game. I mean, we, we lost it, and, but you went away from it thinking, what the hell went on there? That was just it's like being at a movie, you know, like with a, <laughs> a Stanley Kubrick-directed movie or Wes oh, Craven or someone like that. It was a different um, game back then, wasn't it? It, it was. You know, I mean, he, I think Dave copped a, a massive suspension from it, but he was only reported once in the whole game, which I think, um, if you watch it, was pretty amazing. He, A few blokes fell into his, his fists and forearms that day. And um, it, it, really, uh, it really was memorable, a memorable game and, and not, you know, it was for that. And, and just then the outrage in the papers, you know, for, for a week after photos and stories and it was front and back page and it was, it was just astonishing. The, the 1990 grand final just because of the, the whole context of that season. Obviously, it was the Port Adelaide AFL bid. I've, I've written about it in the on the boards, and so I won't go into it in great detail. You can certainly read all of the context there, but, but it really was an us-against-the-world mentality. It was, um, I think, what Port, Port Adelaide's AFL bid had, had certainly galvanised the rest of the football community against us. They certainly uh, would have liked to have seen us um, go home from that grand final with our tail between our legs. We lost the qualifying final to Glenelg, who basically became our, were our arch enemy right from the 70s right through the 90s. They spearheaded the legal action against us in that year. So it was real a real battle of the, the forces of lightness and dark and who was light and who was dark, depended who you barracked for. And just an amazing game. Scotty Hodges broke the goal-kicking record in that game. He hurt his knee just before half-time. We all thought, oh, no, it's, you know, we've lost him and he's not going to break the record and what's this going to do? And he was almost set to to turn it up and then he just said, I think at half-time he just flexed the knee a bit. He said, oh, no, it's not that bad. I'm going to strap it up. I'll go out there. And he came out and he kicked you know three or four goals in the second half. And it was just... Just amazing! It's an extraordinary game, an extraordinary experience. It's all of the emotion, and and in that last quarter again, we kicked away. Um, and I'll do one more. Just um, and this was inspired by Black Eighteen posting this um, in that very same thread. The the nineteen seventy nine first semi final on the Tony Giles tackle on John Duckworth. I mean, it, uh, as the kick, the Scotty Hodges kick for goal sits in your mind forever. I think the uh, the Giles tackle on Duckworth will always sit in, in my mind. Uh, that 1979 season, I think Central's finished minor premiers. They had a really good side. Duckworth won the McGarry medal. He was a big man. He was sick in the old language, six foot four, 15 stone, and he ran like the wind. He was really quick and quite a number of times during that year, he would set Central's off where he would just go for these pulverising runs down through half-forward, brush aside any tackler and kick a goal. And I think he'd, he'd done it to Port in a game with Elizabeth a few weeks earlier where they'd beaten us. And we were on top in that semi-final. It was, um, I think everyone was a bit surprised that we took it up to them and, and we were right on top of them. And he went on one of those runs. He was bounding down through half-forward and Giles, he's just looked him square in the eye and said, nah, you're not getting past me, pal. And he's just met him head to head and he's 
he's probably took him high, maybe looking back. It was a long time ago now. But he, the umpies, I figured, well, I figured Duckworth was big enough and ugly enough to look after himself. He was probably five or six inches taller than Gilesy and, and weighed about three stone more. And Gilesy's just slammed into him and he's brought him down. And I reckon he snuck a couple of sneaky ones in there. And John Duckworth's come up swinging. He's been done for whole... The umpies holding the ball, Johnny, and... And the poor crowd just started booing. They booed him because he threw those punches. They booed him for the rest of the game. And the next week, Central's played South. And the South supporters, all 12 of them, they booed him too. And he was very unhappy. He came out of the paper and said, is this the way you treat your McGarry medalists? And uh, Central's were seen off. South made the grand final. Port smashed them and started a run of three in a row. Beautiful stuff. Beautiful stuff. Well, guys, I'm gonna. I've got a couple here that actually haven't been mentioned. Uh, I can't believe the first one of these hasn't been mentioned. And, and one of mine was definitely Showdown One, uh, one of my absolute yeah. favourites from from Amy Stadium. You know, I was lucky enough to be at that game. I, for some reason, some Crows fan had given up their tickets that day, and me and a mate got the sit smack bang in the middle of the outer, and uh, and absolutely infuriated a whole host of Crows fans around us who obviously weren't used to having opposition supporters there barracking for the other team and, and didn't appreciate the fact that someone might actually barrack for the other team. And uh, and so we had a great time getting and, – and purely just by cheering for the Port Adelaide Football Club, we never, got, we never said anything towards them or to them. Um, and that seemed to just infuriate them even more, which was particularly enjoyable. And we had streamers and flags and scarves and beanies and we went the whole hog. And, uh, and what a day it was and what a great moment for the Port Adelaide Football Club to say, hey, guess what, we're here and we are the Port Adelaide Football Club and we're going to win. And, and we came out and we did it and absolutely put them back in their place right from the start. And, they, and since that day, I don't think they've recovered in terms of showdowns. So um, that was one of my absolute favourites. And obviously one of the highlights of the day was the, uh, the Jamo versus Cummings stoush that happened down in the pocket there. And, uh, you know, just another little bit of uh, spice to add to the uh, developing rivalry between uh, Port Adelaide and, you know, the rest of the state. And so uh, that was one of my absolute favourite games. I don't know it's if you guys game. managed. Ab- absolutely great. Were you guys at the game? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that, that was number six on my list. I just missed out. <laughs> um, I, we got shoved. Normally we sit in the members. We got shoved behind the goals uh, exactly where Jamo and, and Cummings went at it. Um, and... Just like the '76 Grand Final, I reckon there was much more than capacity at that at that game because there was no seats anywhere, mm. and standing room was six seven deep, like all around the ground. It was it was nuts. It was absolutely nuts. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if they let a few get snuck in, a few uh, friends of friends and those sort of things. But, um, you know, the other thing I had here was just the trifecta of 88, 89, 90. You know, I was uh, 8, 9 and 10 years old at the time, so I'm kind of giving away my age there. But, you know, as a young fella who, you know, was passionate about Port Adelaide and what the Port Adelaide Football Club stood for, I think that was just the period that absolutely galvanised my support to just be absolutely Port Adelaide for life. Like, you know, given everything that happened around that period, the, the end, attempt entry into the AFL, the the way, you know, the legal ramifications that happened as a result of that, the 
the formation of a new football club purely out of a hatred for Port Adelaide. Um, you know, th- th- those things are, and that period, and the fact that we won those three flags in a row, and you know, seeing my absolute heroes up there winning flags, singing "We Are the Champions" back at the club rooms afterwards. Um, you know, just some absolutely brilliant memories for me there as a young lad. That, as I said, just absolutely galvanised my support for the Port Adelaide Football Club. So. Those three years, I'll, I'll always remember as being pretty special as a young kid. And certainly those those times back at the club after a grand final were just amazing. I don't I don't know whether in these sort of sanitised high high profile footballer days you can ever recapture that. But it, <laughs> I don't it, think it some just... of the words that Paul, Paul Northeast yelled from the dais would be allowed nowadays. No, I still remember him uh, throwing the, his uh, his premiership medal into the crowd in 1994. <laughs> I said, "You guys." Yeah, there's so much talk in the media that I don't give a stuff about football. Well, you know, this shows how serious I am, and he throws the bloody medal into the crowd. <laughs> and did he say stuff or something else? Oh, I think he, I think he said I think he said something else. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys, we better keep moving because we have made this a bit of a long one. So let's have a quick little uh, look towards the Carlton game on Saturday. Um, what are you looking forward to in the game on Saturday, Macca? Who do you think is going to win, and what do you think the margin will be? Well, I think Carlton will probably win and win by about 25 points. But um, the the main issue I've got is is uh, where does our improvement come from from the last meeting against Carlton? I think we lost by about three or four goals last time. Um, the good thing for us is is they've got a lot of key players down on form um, from when they were flying earlier in the year against us. Um, Murphy, Robinson, Gibbs, Betts, Scotland, they're all down on, on how they played against us earlier in the year. Um, last time they had 14 more inside 50s, 30 more contested possessions and took 12 more marks inside 50 than we did. So that's something we, we've really got to uh, keep an eye on. And I think if we can turn that around, we might win the game. But for me, I think um, Carlton will do enough to make the finals. Okay, and Ford, what do you reckon, mate? I'll go with uh, Port Adelaide by 17 points. Um, I think we'll, we'll have learned something from that Frio game about intensity at the man and and really putting pressure on all over the ground. I think uh, I'd like to see, as I said earlier, maybe a couple of young guys and a couple of senior bodies come in and, and rest. I'd, I'd be quite willing to give a Wingard and Wines a week off in preparation for the um, for the first final, and I think there's players we can bring in that, while certainly not at their standard, would you know in a once-off game would certainly add add to the side enough to take out the to take out the points. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm just really looking forward to the day. Really, I think uh, they I think the clubs put on a, a tremendously a full program of events with, you know, champions of the club doing a lap of the oval. So I think players representing um, a, a range of our premiership victories at foot, or all of our premiership victories at Football Park. Um, I think there's a, a Legends match on, as I recall, and just a, a, a huge huge day and I think it's it's just going to be you know really spectacular and I guess our record in these um, huge huge days hasn't been too great in recent times though so that that makes me a little nervous I certainly remember that Richmond game a couple of years ago um, but yeah I'd like to think that with the finals coming up and even if we we give a couple of blokes a rest that as a as a real team spirit that we'll 
bring something to this game and, and really just finish off our time at Footy Park with a, a good win. Yeah, I tend to think the same, actually. I think, uh, you know, these have been the games in previous years we haven't done well in. Uh, but I, th- I really think we've we've got a different team this year. We've got a different mentality around these sort of teams and these sort of games. And uh, and I think we've now got a team that really, you know, see these important games and want to take them on head on. I, I think they will have learned a lot from Fremantle last week. Um, I think we're going to see a lot more pressure applied. I think we're going to see a lot more, um, you know, skill hopefully applied. Um, but I think uh, I think more than anything, our players are going to want to come out and want to really prove a point this week heading into finals that hey, we're not just in here to make up the numbers. We're not just in here because Essendon fell over with their drug scandal. We're here to win games for football and to play finals and to successfully play finals. And I think they're going to want to be out. They're going to be really out to prove a point this week. And I think they're going to be really out to to make a stand heading into finals and to have form heading into finals. So I think our boys are going to see this as a very, very important week. And I think they're going to come out and show something. Um, And I think they're going to beat Carlton by 21 points. So... Um, those, are our, those are our thoughts hopefully we can get the thoughts from all of the fans out there on the forums we look forward to hearing your feedback hopefully this week with me back we still get some good feedback like we did last week when I wasn't here because <laughs> the feedback looked pretty impressive so uh, well done guys for, for doing this so well without me and uh, yeah make sure you get on to Big Footy let us know what you think of the podcast we'd love to hear your feedback and until next week go the power cheers guys thank you Black. Black.